Spirit. You are welcome here. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. Uh, I have a question for you. Does God want you to be happy? Yeah. And we are Americans. We deeply believe in this, right? That um, our Creator grants us certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That pursuit of happiness, it's not just an American dream. It's a all humanity, everywhere, all time kind of dream. And Jesus knew that. So when he began his public ministry, his first major sermon was the Sermon on the Mount. That is what he started with. He opened his sermon with a seven-step plan on how to be happy. If you want to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, we're not going to have this on the screen. We're just going to read through a bunch of Matthew chapter 5 together. The opening of Jesus' sermon is called the Beatitudes, which I have to just be honest. I've been a Christian a long time, and for most of my life, I just really did not get the Beatitudes. I knew they were important, but like, what's a Beatitude? That's like a weird French Latin word. And, um, and I was like, and I would just read them, and I'm like, I know these are deep, but they're just, Kind of these ambiguous sayings that were not concrete enough for me to wrap my head around in a really just practical way. And so I struggled with them. And then um, as I began to study them more and learned that really what Jesus is saying is happy are those who do this. It's the light bulb kind of started to come on. Because that's really what he's saying. This is written in Greek, ancient Greek. The word that we translate blessed, it literally means happy because you are blessed. So that gives you kind of a little more full understanding. And, And Jesus, as he's going through, he's like, happy are the people who do this because this is how God will bless them. And then he lists what the blessing are. Okay? Every statement, there's those two parts. There's, these are the people who are happy. And this is why, because this is how God is going to bless them. So let's read through these together. Starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit mean? That means that in your soul, in your heart of hearts, you know you have nothing good to give God. You've got nothing. You're poor in spirit. It's people who recognize that they're sinners. And that they need a savior. Jesus paints a a beautiful picture of someone who's poor in spirit when he tells a parable in Luke chapter 18. We're going to put that up here so you don't have to flip too much. But in Luke 18, he says this. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else... Isn't that a great way to open a story? Uh, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple, the church, to pray. One a Pharisee. Pharisees were religious leaders and teachers. The other a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated because they collected taxes for Rome, who were the invaders. They were considered traitors. 
The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He's very generous. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. And it's kind of the opposite of what we assume. We assume that the, the really religious person who does everything right and doesn't do all the things they're not supposed to do and they always have the right answers, that those are the people that are going to heaven. But Jesus says it's those who are poor in spirit that inherit the kingdom of heaven, that go to heaven. When we humbly come before God, he forgives us. And we receive the gift of salvation. God just is not impressed with our piousness. He's not. The Bible says it's our righteous, our good works are like filthy rags before God. Compared to him, it's just, it's not impressive. But he hears and he respects a humble heart, someone who's poor in spirit. The next verse, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is talking about people who mourn over their sins, like that tax collector was mourning over his sins. What happens? God hears them, forgives them. The Holy Spirit comes and comforts them, cleanses them of their sin. He washes us clean. Second uh, Corinthians 7.10 says this, Godly sorrow, godly sorrow, godly mourning. Brings repentance that leaves to salvation and leaves no regret. Just just think about that. It says, and leaves no regret. What amazing comfort that is. That no matter what you've done, you're broken about it, you're past, you know you've messed up, you mourn it before God, and he cleanses you. His Holy Spirit comes to you and comforts you so that you have no regret. That's a beautiful thing. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The Holy Spirit comforts us and also makes us strong. Verse 5, happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is This is an interesting one. Meek does not mean weak. Meek does not mean weak. It's actually a term that was used to describe strong animals like wild stallions who become tame and then submit to their owner. So it's this connotation of great power under control that's submitted. Jesus was meek. Very powerful. Completely submitted to his heavenly father. And that's what he calls us to be, meek, submitted to God. And when we are submitted to God, the Holy Spirit empowers us. 
And Jesus says it's those kind of people who will inherit the earth, inherit the land. That's really interesting. He's talking to Jews. Now, Jews believed that they had inherited a promised land from God, right? The land of Israel was given to them by God. But they weren't exactly in possession of it because the Romans had invaded, the Romans had control. I mean, when you think about when you inherit something, you own it. It's yours, right? They did not have ownership of their land. And they just assumed that whoever was the most aggressive and powerful would inherit that land. I mean, after all, the Romans were very aggressive and powerful, and they were the ones who were in control. As Americans, we tend to think the same way. We really admire powerful and aggressive people, whether they be sports stars or politicians. I mean, what politician you know is really popular for being humble and meek? Um, Social media influencers? We live in a world where everyone is trying to self-promote themselves. Gain more followers. Have more influence. Because when you have more influence, that's how you control things. Right? That's whether you're a social media influencer and you're trying to become famous so you can have lots of money or whatever. We think that the people who self-promote, who are aggressive, those are the people who will be in control of their own lives, of their own destinies, of our nation. And Jesus is saying, you know, that kind of control is just an illusion. Amen. It's the meek who submit themselves to God. He's the only one in control. Amen. The meek who submit themselves to God inherit the land. Verse 6, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This one is, for me, is easiest if I put it in the opposite. Unhappy are those who hunger and thirst for what they see. Material possessions, designer clothes, designer homes, sweet vehicles, you know, sensual pleasure. Beauty, adoration, for they will never be satisfied. But happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus is actually giving a progression here of what happens in the life of his followers. Where do we start? Poor in spirit, knowing we're sinners, needing a savior. He saves us. We mourn our past. We mourn our sins. We mourn the, the ways that we do things where we hurt and we, like, we don't even want to, but we're just, we mourn that. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and comforts us. And in gratitude, we submit our lives to God. We become meek. And the Holy Spirit empowers us. And as the Holy Spirit produces fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that kind of stuff the Holy Spirit makes in us, what happens? We hunger and thirst for what is right. And that satisfies us. And as we grow in our hunger and thirst for righteousness and we find that more and more satisfying, we become judgmental of people who do not. Right? What is the next step? Be merciful. Happy are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The mercy that we receive from God and the comfort from His Spirit when we are poor in spirit should in turn make us more merciful of others. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is a reference to the greatest commands. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we first come to Jesus, we are not there yet. I, you know, I, I see this so often. Like people, um, they know they need a relationship with God. They know they've messed up. They need a savior. But they're like, I'm not ready to submit. I'm not ready to do. You don't have to be ready in the beginning. These are things that come as the Holy Spirit works in you. And eventually we become more and more pure of heart where we can love God and love others. The next step, happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You know, it used to be that people would get upset when somebody would hurt them, like actually do something to them. Now people get offended just because someone has a different opinion. We are so quick to take offense nowadays. Sometimes a person doesn't even have to have a different opinion. They just have to say a trigger word, you know, like vaccines, (laughs) abortion, Trump. Do you like feel the tension in your body rise when somebody says that? One of those words, you're just like, ooh, what's coming next? And we're like prepared to write off that person if the next few words out of their mouth don't agree with us, you know? We are so quick to take offense. Peacemakers are quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Peacemakers listen beyond the words because sometimes things just don't always come out of people's mouths in the right way. Peacemakers try to understand hearts. Peacemakers understand that the vast majority of us care about the same things. We just have different solutions, different ways of seeing that things can be done. Peacemakers look for common ground. And we are called to be peacemakers in this world. Sometimes, 
no matter how hard we try to value people and look for common ground, we will still be rejected because of our commitment to obey God and his word. So the next verse. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To help me cement Jesus' teaching in my mind and just make it as clear as possible, I actually wrote every statement in the opposite. And so I want to read this for you. The Beatitudes, and I'm going to read the statement that I wrote, which, and the best I could phrase it, the opposite of what Jesus was saying, and then I'll read what Jesus says. And then I'll continue um, with his word. I think we'll continue through verse 16. Okay, but here's first what I wrote. Unhappy are the proud and self-righteous, for they do not go to heaven. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Unhappy are those who minimize and hide their sin, for it will eat away inside of them. But blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Unhappy are the self-promoters and domineering, For they cannot control anything. But blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Unhappy are those who hunger and thirst after what they see, material possessions and sensual pleasure, for they will never be satisfied. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Unhappy are the judgmental, for they will be judged. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Unhappy are the corrupt, for they will be cast from God's presence. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Unhappy are the agitators and warmongers, for they will be disowned by God. But blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Unhappy are those admired for all their glamorous unrighteousness. For they will only have their self-made feudal kingdom. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light under a a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If you're following then along, you'll see the next section is called the fulfillment of the law. And I'm going to summarize that one for you. Jesus talks about how 
People continually try to write things out of God's law and ignore certain parts of it that they don't like or rationalize how it doesn't apply to them. But he says, I tell you the truth. What does he say? Verse 18. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. Yet it's so easy to ignore parts of what Jesus commands us to do that we don't like. For instance, let me just give you one example. A little later in the sermon, uh, just like a page over, if you would flip, Matthew 6, this is Jesus preaching the same sermon. This is what he says. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, you, they have received their reward in full. And then he goes on and tells you when, that when you give, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So two weeks ago, our team from Caring Community won the bed race in the Homer Hawk extravaganza. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And um, the announcer who was announcing the winners of the different things, he could not get our name straight. Like, I don't think it's not that hard. But he was like, he just couldn't get it straight. I kept telling him, he's like, do you just want to announce it? And I'm like, fine. You know, so he, we walked over to the microphone and he said, so community church caring won the race and here's their representative. And he just handed me the mic real quick. And I'm like, okay. We are caring community church <laughs> and we're just very glad to be out here and support the community of Homer. We just want to have fun with you guys. And so we're going to be donating our prize winnings to the Homer Caring and Sharing Services Food Bank. That was me. I didn't have a trumpet. I just used a PA system. I can't plead ignorance. And some of you might be like, oh, you're being too hard on yourself. You're just trying to give our church a good name and let people know we care about them. It was wrong. And um, I got convicted of it later that day, and I asked the Lord to forgive me. And as long as I'm here pastoring, I'm interim, but as long as I'm here pastoring, you can hold me accountable that when this church gives, and I hope we continue to be generous, but when we give, we'll give in secret. But it's so easy to just disregard those parts of God's law and his commands that we think aren't really important or don't apply to our situation. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from God's law. Let's keep reading what he goes on to next. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said about people long ago. Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject, subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says raka, that's like a swear word, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. 
But anyone who says, you fool, will be in the da- will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift to the Lord. I think Jesus is very strategic in how he's laying out his sermon. He starts with the kind of attitudes we have. Then he moves to, this is, we're going to be a light, guys. You can't leave any part of the law out. And then he talks about the law that Christians ignore the most. That his followers are most likely to ignore. He is saying here that if you have tension between your brother and sister and the Lord, do not come to church. First go be reconciled and then come. We can't be a light if we have all this tension and yuckiness between us. And yet... Instead of obeying what Jesus says, we just kind of rationalize it away and we believe this lie that Christians, when we offend one another, the kind thing is not to say anything. We don't talk about it. We especially don't talk about it with a person who offended us because then we would hurt their feelings and that's not nice. You don't hurt their feelings and so it wasn't that big of a deal and it was just, just be quiet and we just push down the hurt. Until it comes up when we're talking to somebody else. And we begin venting. And then we're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. It's not what Jesus taught us to do. It amazes me that Christians believe Jesus can heal the sick, but he can't heal relationships between two Christians. He's the prince of peace. He brings peace. And in his word, he gives us instructions on how to reconcile with one another. Matthew 18. It's not honestly, if you want to flip over there, or I'll just say it. Matthew 18. He gives us three steps. And he says, if your brother or sister has offended you. In Matthew 5, he says, if you know you've offended them. Matthew 18, he says the opposite way. So either way, you're not off the hook. But he says the first step is you go to them first alone. That's the first thing you do. Is you go to them alone. And you try to talk it out. And how do we go to them? Just like the Beatitudes say. Humble. Meek. Merciful. Not judgmental. Merciful. Pure in heart. So that the most important thing is that we care about that person and we want to reconcile with them, not prove how right we are. We go as a peacemaker. If step one doesn't work, step two, what is it? You guys know? Yes. You bring two or three people, one or two, to come and help you reconcile. People who can serve as neutral mediators. Not your best friend who will take your side. 
right? A mature Christian who can be a peacemaker. And then step three, if that doesn't work, then you go to the church elders and have them try to help you work things out. And Jesus concludes these instructions by saying, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. In other words, when we follow Jesus' instructions for reconciliation, the Prince of Peace is there, present, helping us bring peace to the situation. It's so often we convince ourselves that if we talk it out, it's just going to offend more and hurt more. And so we just push it down and we stay silent. We think, okay, well, we'll just be, we'll be nice. And so we're polite and we smile to one another. And we just think if we keep being polite and kind and smiling to each other, it will just heal the hurt. But it doesn't. It just buries the hurt. And it becomes this foundation for these walls of hurt to spring up between us. And so then we have a church that outwardly looks very nice and friendly. Like everybody's getting along. But inwardly, there's these invisible walls of hurt that divide us. And that is not meant to be. That's not how Jesus wants us to be a light. Jesus never pretends like his followers aren't going to offend one another. He like assumes it from the get-go. He says, you're going to be poor in spirit. You should be because you're messed up, people. And you better mourn because you're going to be hurting each other. You know, he assumes we're going to have these problems. All families do. And he wants us to go to one another, not judging each other, but merciful. Being peacemakers. And trust that he, the Prince of Peace will bring peace to us. Um, in a few moments, we're going to take communion. We have it set up over here at the altar. And uh, it, it's maybe going to be done differently than it's done been done here before. Um, but we'll have the worship team come up, and they're going to be singing songs, and you can sing along with them, and you can also just come and get communion at your own pace and take communion, okay, and go back to your seat. Um, but before we do that, please do not take communion if you know there's tension between you and a brother or sister in Christ. If you need to step out and call somebody, I think that would be awesome. Um, maybe there's someone here. I don't know. Guys, I haven't been here that long to know all your history. What I know is that God woke me up at like 1 a.m. and gave me this message. And I couldn't sleep. So if you need to be reconciled while the worship team is playing, just go over to that person. In meekness and humbleness, merciful, not judgmental. And some of you would be like, is she serious? Like everybody will be watching. 
Everybody will know we had a disagreement. Yeah, families have disagreements. It happens. You know, you do not have to remain like perfectly righteous in the eyes of everybody. We don't need that here. We need people who are poor in spirit. That's what we need. We need Christian leaders whom, whose hearts mourn when there's broken relationships in the family of God. Amen. And who are willing to set the example of how to be a peacemaker. Amen. That's what we need. And so I just encourage you to be the leader God is calling you to be and set that example of how it is to go to somebody and reconcile. Maybe it's something big. I don't know, and you really need to talk it out. My guess is, and a lot of times you don't really need to hash out every detail. You can just say, look, I know we butt heads. And I'm sorry. And I, I want a fresh start. Will you forgive me? And you guys just forgive each other. And then you can go take communion together. As a sign of the unity and peace that God brings you. And let the peace of God, the presence of Jesus, cement your peace. But that's what I'm going to encourage you to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 29 says this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He died to reconcile us to God and reconcile us to each other. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever drinks the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Do you know who is the body of Christ? You all are together. You all are together. We're going to watch a clip from The Chosen. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a free online show about the life and ministry of Jesus. I encourage you to check it out. It's really good. But in this clip, um, Jesus is preparing for his big sermon, and he's kind of been stumped on how to open it. And um, he finally gets it, and so he wakes Matthew up, because Matthew's been recording the sermon for him, right? We see that in Scripture. Matthew recorded it. And... Um, And so he begins to recite the Beatitudes while Matthew records. And as he does, he's looking out over at his disciples and he's remembering them and the kind of community that he is building them into and that he wants them to be. So please watch this clip.
Bye-bye. I've got it. The opening? Yes. What is it? A map. The what? Directions. Where people should look to find me. Okay. Give me a moment. Hmm. are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward will be great in heaven. Yes. But how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. You are the salt of the earth. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. We thank you for the compassion you have on us and that you see us and meet us where we are. And God, we just ask for your help. 
and becoming the kind of community that you abide in. Of being the kind of community that shines your light. Of being the kind of community where people find Jesus. Amen. Help us, Lord. Help us be poor in spirit and mourn to see ourselves honestly and not minimize when we go our own way. When we rebel or sin, just God, God, help us be honest with ourselves and with you and with one another. God, we pray for meekness. It is not easy to give up control. So we pray that your Holy Spirit will help us surrender more and more so that we can be meek, that we can be powerful under your control. Not our control, not our will, not going after what we want, but after what you want, Lord. And Heavenly Father, help us to be merciful with each other. To, to each other here and to the people outside the kingdom of God. Help us to be merciful. Help us to hunger and thirst for what is right and good. And not be so distracted by everything we see. And God, make us pure in heart. We cannot accomplish that on our own. We can't, we can't become more pure and loving just by willing it. We need your spirit to do that in us. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love each other. And God, teach us how to be peacemakers and give us the courage to step up and be a peacemaker in our own lives in the lives of others that need our help, that we can come alongside and mediate peace and help us not to fear rejection. But hold on to the hope of our reward in Christ. Lord, make us the salt and light. So people will see our good deeds and not glorify us, but glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come and get communion as you are ready.